Hey, this is Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and you're listening to the Winner Winner Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Winner Winner PUBG Podcast. I promise that this is still a PUBG podcast, but my guest tonight on the show does a little bit more than just play PUBG. My name is Mike, aka MTB Trigger, and I will be your host today. We've had devs on the show. We've had streamers on the show. We've had NPL professional players on the show. But tonight, we've got a musician. What do all of these players, myself, and the Winner Winner crew have in common with this individual? We all love PUBG. I think that's probably enough, so let's get after it. My guest tonight is the co-founder of a band that you may know, the Lumineers, Jeremiah Freights, or as I've come to know him, Jer. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? I'm doing good, Mike. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Glad you could make it. I know uh, you're coming off of a crazy stretch of your latest tour. And just a few days ago, I think you were basically on the other side of the world. So welcome back. Yeah, thank you. Just landed um, back from Japan a couple days ago, and I'm feeling a little jet lagged, but feeling good. And uh, yeah, we've been on tour now for a while, and we're about to go on tour for pretty much the next two years. So kind of gearing up for that. Awesome, man. Well, before we jump into it, I always like to just kind of talk about how we met or came in contact on the show. And in this case, you and I actually met online. And then shortly after, we actually got to meet in person because a few months back, I saw you playing with Hambino and then Swagger. And then shortly after that, I was invited to a squad by G-Tuck, who you play pretty frequently with. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of um, it's kind of been amazing for me that you know that you mentioned those streamers Swagger and Hambino. I've been pretty lucky that those guys were willing to let me play with them. And uh, what happened? I met that guy G Tuck. Basically, I was having a lot of technical difficulties. I was playing with this guy named Kingsman, and he said you should talk to this guy G Tuck. He's sort of an expert with tech stuff, and he's a great gamer. And G Tuck took about two or three hours that night just to help me get my streaming rig set up because I didn't you know have a clue what I was doing, and it was a terrible system. I was using you know, hotel Wi-Fi and a laptop and it was just a nightmare. But I'm able to stream now thanks to G-Tuck and we've been playing quite often. So it's crazy, you know, and then that, that's how I met you. I think we did a squad and then you came to one of our shows. I don't even remember which city we met in, but I do remember meeting you. <laughs> uh, yeah, we played a few games together. That led to my wife and I driving from Minnesota, the Twin Cities, to Milwaukee. That's right to see the show there. And we met by one of the weirdest statues I've ever seen in my life. Do you remember that statue? I do remember. I don't want to speak poorly of that statue, but I don't know what the statue was of. It seemed like a germ or something. Yeah, maybe weird wasn't the best description, <laughs> but it definitely was unique. I'll put it that way. I was just happy that you were able to see what I'm better at because I probably have easily over 10,000 hours of music under my belt where I have about 340 hours of PUBG. So I didn't want to be uh, solely based on my skills that you were only seeing me as a PUBG player. So it was nice that you could see what I'm a lot better at. <laughs> it was really cool because the venue was pretty small compared to what I think you guys normally play. Yeah, it was kind of an underplay show for uh, for fans and stuff and the fan club. And it was kind of a, a neat way to rehearse, but with a crowd in front of us because we have a new album coming out and we were able to uh, kind of rehearse with people in front of us. So that's nice. 
Yeah, and it was just, it was cool. That was the first show that we'd been to in a while, and it was just cool to meet you and, and have that kind of inside view. So thanks for that, and thanks for being here, man. This is great. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So before we jump into PUBG, and obviously this is a PUBG podcast, and we'll definitely get to some of that, you co-founded a band called The Lumineers, but for the uninitiated or maybe someone who doesn't... uh like that particular brand of music, or maybe they haven't heard about you before. You want to talk a little bit about your band? I mean, you clearly have a ton of hours into it, and I love that you're a gamer because the only people that talk about hours they do something for <laughs> are people that play games. Yeah. But tell us a little bit about the Lumineers. Like, what's the band about? What kind of music is it? Just in case someone hasn't heard of you or the band. Sure. I mean, statistically, there's definitely more people on this earth that have not heard about our band. So I always try to remind myself of that. And every time we play a show, I always remind myself that this is literally and actually someone's first and last time they will ever see us. Not in a good or bad way, just in an actual objective way. So every time we play and every time we write a song, you always try to remember that a lot more people don't know about what you're doing than people that do, even though it may seem like everybody knows what you're doing. So the band, me and the singer Wes, we grew up in a small suburban town in New Jersey called Ramsey. Started this band, the Lumineers, about 14 years ago. I think we just had our anniversary. So 14 years together writing music. And um, while we, our third album is coming out in September of this year, 2019, we've written a lot of music that is unreleased and people don't know about prior to the first album coming out. So we've written many, many songs together. And when we first started writing together, it was just about trying to make something that we connected with, something that connected with us, something that felt sincere and raw and honest. And it wasn't so much trying to reinvent the wheel, but just trying to put something forward that felt good to us. And I think creatively, it's sort of a selfish endeavor where you're just trying to write music. You're trying to create music that gets you high. That's almost self-medication for yourself. And uh, for whatever reason, it seems like that music is translated well to um, other people listening to the music. So it takes us a long time to write our music. I don't know if that's a good thing or it's probably a bad thing, but it takes us forever to finish one song. I think we just care a lot about the music and want to just put out great material. What would you classify your music as? Because, and, and to be completely honest, like I am not musically inclined one bit. So this isn't meant as a jab or anything, but I would look at it as kind of like rock, folk, pop, like a mixture of that. Like what, when you tell someone what kind of music you play, what do you say? I kind of cringe with the genre question and not, not at you directly. I'm just saying in general, I have a hard time with it. I think on one hand, every artist thinks of themselves as a snowflake. You know, you're this unique thing. You know, no one's ever heard something so beautiful that you make. I think that could be a little bit naive too. What I usually tell people the short answer is I say folk rock, but I also, I find the best method is just it's just to tell people the instrumentation, you know, to say we have we have piano, we have guitar, uh, we have a violin, we have some drums, and you should listen to us if you want to really have the best idea of what we sound like. There's a great quote, talking about music is like dancing about architecture. And I think that pretty much sums up trying to talk about music, you know, your best serve just to hit play or listen to it. And um, that will reveal any mysteries about it. But I usually tell people the instrumentation. That seems to help the, the fastest. Yeah, that's really a really cool insight because I guess I often find that artists are hard to describe no matter what they're creating but they're easy to spot. And you just strike me as an artist. I mean, one of your signature wardrobe pieces is the hat you wear, right? And I saw a video or a picture of you at the factory where they're made. 
Yeah, I wear the same thing every concert. It's a the hat. It's an Italian company called Borsellino, and I went to the Borsellino factory. And I actually tweeted a photo of my outfit at PUBG, seeing if they can make it into a skin. I haven't heard anything back, but um, my fingers are crossed that if we could get some suspenders going on a white t-shirt with a fedora, black pants, I don't think anybody would, but I, I would buy it. I want that outfit. I want that outfit for my PUBG skin, so they're listening. If Yeah, just if you can have it, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> just for me, that's fine. <laughs> well, I guess the reason I bring that up is there's things that are fixed, meaning like you just said that your wardrobe is fixed, like you wear the same thing every time. I mean, the first picture on your Instagram is you getting a five pack of white t-shirts for crying out loud. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cheap, um, simple outfit. I mean, the, the hat is not cheap, but besides that, for the most part, it's a pretty cheap outfit. It's black boots, black pants, a white t-shirt with black suspenders and a black fedora hat. And uh, I started doing that I can't even remember, maybe eight or nine years ago. And I just think it for me, it was sort of a way to, whenever you put it on, it's like putting on a uniform and just sort of reminds me of what I'm doing, what I'm about to do, no matter how tired or out of it I might be. And as cheesy as it might sound, it's almost like a friend, a brother of a friend of mine in a high school many years ago asked, you know, when you go on stage, what superhero do you want to be? And I thought it was a really profound question, this idea of the whole point of music and the whole point of art is to get outside of your normals, to get outside of your head. So who do you want to be on stage? And I think wearing those clothes for whatever reason helps me uh, achieve that. I think that's kind of funny because I just, a few days ago, my wife looked at me and said, did you realize that you wear the same thing every time you start streaming? (laughs) I didn't realize that I put the same shirt on. But for whatever reason, in the past month or two, she bought me this shirt and I like the shirt and I put it on and it's kind of like that, you know, I used to play football, I used to play track, I used to play baseball and it was always that like getting ready to go moment. And what's really funny about it is I remember when I was walking down the hill towards that statue to meet you, I was expecting to look for the fedora. Right, so I'm walking down this hill looking for a fedora, but it never occurred to me that that's probably like the final piece or the final part of your uniform, so to speak, before you go on stage. Also, it was not by coincidence. I did not wear the fedora because that would be a very easy way to get recognized because we were waiting right outside the venue. So on purpose, I did not wear that because that is a very quick way to uh, attract some people. So I, I did that on purpose just to kind of be able to meet you without, um, yeah, just to meet you easier outside. <laughs> right. Well, and there was a there was a few people that noticed you, and I, I it was kind of cool. You, you talked about you have tons of hours in music, not so much in PUBG, but there was a fan that recognized you there. It was really cool to get to see you interact with somebody who's a big fan of your music that noticed you, recognized you, and, and had a quick conversation. Do you get recognized a lot in public? Yeah, I'd say... I don't know what a lot constitutes. I mean, it's not on a level of uh, absurdity. Like I can live a normal life, thankfully, and do what I need to do. I don't know. Uh, it's it's a funny thing. Sometimes I find myself being slightly paranoid. Like, oh, I think that person recognized me, and then being like, no, you're just, you know, you're being paranoid. And then, you know, I can remember being in a, a cafe in Denver with my wife and son, and was I was certain that this guy and girl recognized me, and then they never came up to me and never said anything. And I said, all right, you're just being crazy. And then hours later, I was checking my Instagram or something. And there was a message from them saying, Hey, I just saw you in the cafe. Cause I, I knew they took a photo of me. They were pretending to take a photo and I was in the background. I knew they were taking a photo. I was certain of it, but then they never said hi to me. So I was like, all right, you're being 
paranoid. You're overthinking it. And then they messaged me later and was like, hey, I didn't want to you know, disturb you with your family. And But for the most part, we're never, I'd even say 100% of the time when somebody comes up, they're very sweet and nice and just want to say hi or thanks for the music, something like that. So every now and then it's, it's a funny situation too, where I can remember being at Whole Foods in Denver and you know, I was there in my sweatpants and I probably had some like ketchup stains on my shirt and I just was waking up and I went to buy I remember I had a really odd assortment of stuff, like a bag of potato chips and some pickles and like a bag of granola or something. And, uh, <laughs> you know, these two people asked if they could take a photo and they said they recognized me here all the time. And I was like, all the time? Wow. Now you're saying hi. And we took a photo and I just, it was funny because I just felt very out of it and uh, probably not feeling photogenic, but we have great fans. So we're lucky in that regard. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, one of the things that jumped out to me immediately when talking with you and gaming with you was really just how much you travel, right? So like in a given year, how many days are you away from home? That's a good question. I mean, to give you an idea, depending on when this podcast actually comes out, I think that I left my house in Denver around May 27th and I will have gotten home around August 3rd. Now, that's a particularly long, you know, that's over two months not going back home. That's a particularly long amount of time. But a normal leg of, you know, we say a leg of a tour can be anywhere from three to five weeks. Sometimes it can be a little bit longer, but yeah, we hit it really hard when we go out on tour. We're going to be kind of doing that for the next two years or so. We already know all of 2020 what's going to happen and then even into 2021 a little bit. So yeah, when we go out, we hit it pretty hard. We've cultivated a global presence with our band. We've played in all six continents, except for Antarctica. That's the one we haven't played on. You know, when we go out, we do North America and we've done South Africa and Australia. We've done Europe. We've gotten to go to South America and uh, we've gotten to go to Asia. So We've gotten to go all over. That can be really challenging sometimes, for sure, to be away from family and all the traveling. And then um, for the most part, though, we just feel really lucky and blessed to be able to do that. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, you get to see a lot of places maybe that most people don't or would love to. Do you have a particular place that you guys have played or that you've got to visit that is special? just flew back from Japan two days ago. And uh, we've been to Japan a handful of times. And I think it, it might be my favorite country to travel to. It's so different. It's so foreign from coming from America, especially. It's so beautiful. And there's just so much history and culture there. And um, I just love going there. And I got to, got to explore. We played this festival called the Fuji Rock, which uh, used to be at Mount Fuji. It's no longer at Mount Fuji, but they still they kept the name Fuji Rock. So it's just an incredible place to go. And yeah, we hope we can continue to go back there. That's awesome. And, and <laughs> I remember a conversation where you mentioned that you don't have FOMO or fear of missing out. But is is there something that you look forward to doing like when you're out on tour? Is it food? Is it certain things you like to check out? Coffee shops? Like, Is there something that you try to do everywhere that you go? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I mean, it really depends on place. If I'm in a place like Japan that's very far, I'm going to really, and we don't go there often, obviously, I'm going to really try to spend every second doing something. You know, I'm going to sleep less and just do a lot more than I normally would. If we're on a big tour, say for a month on the West Coast, you know, in the United States, places we've been dozens of times, at that point, you're like, okay, I've been to Los Angeles so many times that. It's not like I'm going to go sightseeing or something. You're going to kind of be like, okay, I'm going to probably sleep and rest in the hotel and try to prepare for the show. Maybe play a little PUBG, you know, before the show. Whatever, whatever it is, just to kind of chill out and get in the zone. But obviously, for a foreign country or someone that's very uh, different, somewhere that's very far, it's really nice to try to take advantage of that because once you leave that place, you're like, wow, that place is so far, and you don't you don't appreciate that sometimes when you're there. 
I remember on our first album, a normal tour should last about 18 months. And this one was about three or three and a half years. It was really crazy because the first album, we saw a lot of success and it was a surprise. So we kept getting offers and we kept saying yes to things. I remember we were literally in China and people were going to see a section of you know, the Great Wall of China. And I opted to stay in the room to sleep because I was just that exhausted to give you an idea of, um, you know, missing sort of a once in a lifetime opportunity, but to sleep. I mean, it's interesting sitting in planes and stuff. It's, you're not doing anything, but it can be exhausting and sleep schedules and jet lag. And you don't have the same diet. You don't have the same pillow every night. You have, you know, you're always in different bed. You're always in different time zone, different country, blah, blah, blah. So it can be, um, it can be very taxing, but it's also, uh, it's an incredible opportunity to see the world. So, well, yeah, and it it brings up like the small things, right? You're you're talking about things that I would coin as things that are home or that you would have at home. But we were talking before we started recording about your internet situation, and you obviously play PUBG, but. Everywhere you go is something that I take for granted is I can walk downstairs and know that unless something crazy happened, I'm going to be able to get on the internet with ease, right? So there's all those little tiny tweaks that you're changing all the time. Is there something small like, you know, we had some Wi-Fi issues before we started, but is there anything else that's like small or maybe I would think of as tiny that kind of gets to you over time? I mean, basically, this is exactly my routine. When Every time I enter a hotel, this is what I do. I put down my bags and I take out my laptop and I set up my little system, which I have a laptop. I put it on this, um, I don't know what they call it. It's like a cooling station that you put your laptop on. Yep. Yeah. So basically, put my bags down, I take out my laptop, I set it on the cooling pad, I take out my mouse, my mouse pad, and then I basically turn the computer on and I see what the Wi-Fi is like. What I always do first is I check the Ethernet situation. I always turn off the Wi-Fi and I check the Ethernet. Now, unfortunately, it seems to be about nine times out of 10, Ethernet is disabled in hotels. So what I do typically is I call. I did. I had to do this a couple of weeks ago. I was in Chicago, got into my room around midnight, turned my computer on, set it up, went to the Ethernet, wasn't working. I call, I push zero, I talk to the operator, and I always ask, is there a IT person or someone that deals with the Wi-Fi? Typically, there's a third-party off-site person that you can talk to. They patch me through to them, and I say, hi, I'm in the room, so blah, blah, blah. This is my name. This is the hotel we're staying at. Can you give me some Ethernet access? And then they either say... <laughs> Yes, no problem. Let's fire you up. Or they say, I'm sorry, sir. The hotel particularly does not allow that to happen, which is the worst thing you can hear. So that guy in Chicago, it was incredible because we probably talked for 30 minutes, but we were doing it and he was like asking me how much I needed it. And I said, well, I'm trying to play this game called PUBG. Can you really juice me up? So I think he gave me about 100 megabytes download speed, which is really good for for hotel. And I had a similar situation. I was in Los Angeles. We were there for about, I don't know, five or six days. And I had the guy come in my room. And I had about a 30 megabyte download speed and I was talking to the guy and I was like, can you give me like, you know, 50 or 60, even 80? And he would go back, do something, come back to my room. And eventually I got him up to about 120 and uh, he was laughing and I was like, yeah, you don't, don't tell any of the other guests, but this is, you know, <laughs> this is fine. It's for a good cause. So, and then if I'm on Wi-Fi, sometimes the hotels have a a secret Wi-Fi or a different Wi-Fi that you can access that not a lot of other people are accessing with better Wi-Fi. Premiere action behind the yeah. scenes. Yeah. Last night, I was playing uh, Wi-Fi at a hotel in Montreal, Canada. 
and the download speed was about 2.5 megabytes. And when I came into the room, it took me three and a half hours to download the latest patch, which was about 10 gigabytes. So that took about three and a half hours <laughs> to download. Maybe it was even four and a half. I basically left it running overnight and did the math and it was something like that. So I was playing a game last night and I hit 5,500 ping, I think. And it was just out of control. And that's really frustrating because at the end of the day, for me, PUBG is serving a way to occupy my time. Considering I'm away from my family, considering how much I'm traveling, PUBG really offers this great, in my opinion, creative, fun, social outlet that you might not always have because being a professional touring musician can be a very lonesome lifestyle. And it's ironic because you're playing in front of tens of thousands of people all the time, but you are you can be isolated a lot. And it can be a lonesome journey at times where you're in your hotel room, to the green room, to the bus, to the airplane, whatever it is. So PUBG kind of ticks all those boxes where it feels social, it feels creative, and you know, most of all it feels fun and exciting. So So how does a like globally recognized musician get into PUBG? Like how did you find this game? How did you get into it? Because you've you've mentioned a lot of things that I think people love about it. Like it's creative, the games are always different, there's a social aspect, but how did you find it? I found PUBG, basically, one of my friends, this guy Rob, we used to be busboys at the same sushi restaurant in Denver called the Sushi Den, and we used to play Xbox together. We played a lot of GTA V, and we played a lot of uh, Rainbow Six Siege, and I think it was December 2017, he said, hey, there's a new game coming out. It's called Player Unknown Battlegrounds. And I was like, I couldn't even remember the name. I thought it was the worst. <laughs> I honestly thought it was the worst game title I'd ever heard because it was so janky. I said, what is it? Player Unknown? What? And he said, it's just basically shortened as PUBG. But when I got over the name, he said, basically 100 people start in an airplane and they land on an island and the last guy to survive wins. And I said, that is literally the coolest thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. And I've played games all my life and I had never before heard such a simple, enticing, you know, idea for a game. It was so simple. I mean, he, he explained the gist and the entirety of the game in three seconds. You know, you land on an island, 100 people, last one, survive wins. And he got it for me on Xbox. And unfortunately, I played PUBG on Xbox for probably close to a year, year and a half. And I, I say yeah. unfortunately because I really would have loved sharpening my skills on a computer because it just that changed my my whole world for PUBG. So I, I played PUBG on Xbox from December 2017. And then this January of 2019, uh, I said, you know what? I want to try this out. I'm going to buy a laptop, get a PC. I can still do my music stuff, my recording and stuff in the hotel room for tour. And then also I can play PUBG because Mac does not support PUBG. So I got the game, got the computer, tried it out. And I just thought, wow. This was so obviously meant to be a computer game. And it, it was still a lot of fun on console, don't get me wrong. But when I got it on PC, I guess obviously I thought this was clearly meant to be for the computer. So that really changed my whole my whole world with PUBG. What was the hardest thing for you in transitioning from console to PC? And, and the reason I ask is we actually have a pretty large console community. And regularly, we have people switching over and they're always asking certain questions to people like, what was the hard part? So for you specifically, what was the most challenging transition point after having played on console and moving to PC? It sounds stupid, but besides moving, probably looting, going from 
console to PC, just moving around felt very because I hadn't I hadn't played games on PC in a long, long time. I was a gamer a long time ago. I got first into this game called Unreal Tournament. I don't know if you remember that. I'm 33 years old and I played Unreal Tournament a long, long time ago, and I was really good at that game, and I really loved that game. I haven't gamed on a PC in a long time, so when I got it, just the mechanics of moving, looting took a long time to get used to, and I became kind of discouraged that first week of playing because. Any community I had of people that I was playing with regularly on console, I no longer was playing with on the PC. So I lost that community. I was playing with a lot of random people, which was not fun at first. Now I get a kind of a kick out of it, or now I have, I guess you could say I have a more realistic understanding of what a random duo or a random squad is going to feel like. And I obviously much rather prefer playing with people I know or other streamers, whatever. I kind of was discouraged and I for some reason was I started PUBG on the computer on third person and in my experience I don't know why or if this is true but I can say in my experience third person there was way more cheating going on I was getting killed in the most bizarre ways and I could just tell there was a lot of hackers and a huge problem and I was reading forums about blue hole trying to you know they were banning I forget what the number was it was some staggering number per month I think it was like a hundred thousand you know accounts per month or something crazy getting banned for cheating and I thought Wow, did I make a mistake? Is this this is game just now all hackers and stuff? But then I think the first streamer I had ever heard of was probably Shroud for PUBG and started watching some of his videos and I just thought, wow, this guy's doing some really crazy stuff. And then my buddy Rob, who gave me PUBG for Xbox as a Christmas gift. He said, you know, there's this guy named Chaco Taco. He's really great at the game. Check out some of his videos. And then I started seeing, you know, kind of opened up this whole world to uh, people that were playing. And I believe if my memory serves, the first guy, because I, I hit up, you know, a bunch, a handful of streamers. Some of them responded, some of them didn't. And I thought, whatever, like uh, they probably get hit up all the time. And right. I respect that. The first guy that actually responded and said, yeah, let's play was actually Chaco's friend Reed, uh, the Chicken of Destiny. He said, yeah, let's play, you know, let's do a duo PUBG. And uh, we played a you know, duo one night and uh, had a blast and just got to know each other a little bit, played PUBG mostly. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. You know, it's uh, it, it just opened up a world and... To give you an idea, in January I got the computer, and you know I didn't even know what Discord was. I didn't know what Twitch was. I knew that I was when I was watching those videos, it had to be from some platform, but I didn't know what Twitch was. I didn't know what Discord was. I remember someone was like, "DM me in Discord," and I was like, "What the hell's Discord?" <laughs> I felt old as hell. You know, I really felt like when someone doesn't know how to use technology, when someone said "DM me in Discord," I was like, "Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about." And from there, just kind of. It just bloomed into uh, this whole world. And then through Discord, I was able to join some of these guys' servers, like the Chicken of Destiny or Chaco Taco, and eventually a bunch of other people like Swagger and Hambino. And then you can go into there looking for game sections, and you can meet so many other people. And at that point, I really love that because at that point, if you're not even playing with the person whose server it is, all those people in that server are probably cool people. They've kind of been filtered to be cool people because they're in that server already. So it was really cool you know, to meet so many people through that mechanism of Discord. Yeah, it's really cool. And it's that Twitch journey is what I like to call it, because I think everybody tends to see streaming or, you know, get involved with it or have someone tell about it. And then everyone has their own personal journey with who they follow, how they got in there. And, and it's just pretty cool to hear that you had no idea about the platform. You had no idea what Discord was. And then you just sort of leaned into it and it turned into this really kind of cool story of how you how you started playing PUBG with some streamers, some big, some small. And it's it's been pretty cool to watch and see you play. 
I remember the first guy that I was really nervous about was, I think I DM'd Swagger and just said, you know, I play music in this band and I'm just looking to play if you ever wanted to do a game, you know, no big deal. And I think that was an email. I think his email's on his Twitter or something. And I think he responded, um, I'd be willing to, I just need you to prove that you are who you say you are. Can you verify this via Twitter? <laughs> Because, you know, he's had problems with people saying there's someone this or that and then not actually being that person. So I said, sure. yeah, sure, I, I can verify. And uh, verified it via Twitter, I believe. And then we played. And I think we set up a schedule for the next day or something. And I remember just thinking I was so nervous because I know how good he is. And, you know, he has like 800 to 1,000 people watching, whatever it was. And I just was so nervous that I was going to make so many bonehead moves or push F out of a moving car, and you know, <laughs> which I think I did. Also, I remember I shot him in the back of the head. He was on a boat at one point, and I made a few bonehead moves, but for the most part, we had a great time. It was funny, though, because I, I told him, I said, you know, Swag, I was actually kind of nervous to play with you. And I don't know if he was nervous with me, but uh, it was just funny because... I wouldn't say I really get nervous around people in general, but in that context, I, I absolutely felt it because I know how hard these professional streamers grind. I know how much they play the game. I know that it's their livelihood. So, you know, I wanted to make sure that me being a part of someone else's stream, me being a part of someone else's livelihood is only adding to that as opposed to me being a leech on someone's hard-earned success. Because, you know, if the flip side of someone's like, hey, I just got into music and then let's let's write a song together, it's like, whoa, 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 but, you know, pump the brakes. That's... <laughs> That's that's a sacred thing. So I, I consider what people do for a living very sacred and I never want to be that annoying guy that's saying, hey, let's play together. So yeah, playing with those guys, Swagger and Hambino, um, that was just was so cool. I got to play with Halifax one night. I was in Copenhagen and uh, it was me, Hambino and Halifax. And uh, yeah, just had a blast. It was really cool to be a part of you know the community. And I know I'm an outsider. I know I'm not a quote unquote gamer, but a lot of these people have been so nice and welcoming. So it's been really cool to, to experience that. I think one of the things that surprised me most about Twitch and then PUBG community is that everybody has passions and projects and things they like outside of gaming. And the things that I didn't think mattered, there's there's a handful of people that grew up the same way I did or were into the same thing. So I hope that you're not treated like an outsider. That's a weird word to throw out. And, and it can feel that way in the Twitch world because it's so big. But I would imagine that you're music resonates with a lot of people or like, you know, especially because you play a lot of instruments, but I think your primary one is piano, right? Yeah, I play piano, drums, and guitar. And it's probably between piano and drums, but I'd even say piano is probably the real primary one. And uh, yeah, it's not even so much about being an outsider. I think it's just more being acknowledging that these people probably get hit up hundreds of times a day with random emails, random requests. Hey, let's do a, hey, let's do a squad with so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, I think I just felt at the end of the day, I wanted to ask just to see what people would say because obviously if I get the opportunity to play with some of these guys, it's so cool. And the people that have said yes, it's been so cool and it's so fun to you know experience a chicken dinner with these guys. It's the best. So I was like, I'm going to ask if they say no, or if they say, you know, if they swear at me or block me, then so be it, <laughs> whatever, you know, whatever, whatever worst case scenario comes about. But I felt like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask because... I feel like that would be really cool. And the ones that say, yeah, great. And the ones that don't, I, I just have to respect that because that's what they do for a living and they work so hard at that. So, you know, I'm just I'm maybe I'm too aware of that, but I think it's important to be aware of that. Yeah. So I want to flip the script on you a little bit. And you brought up the same scenario, but flipped in your world. And it would be like somebody coming in and playing music 
with you or asking you to co-write a song. But have you ever had a scenario where like you guys brought someone on stage or a fan or has there been like a special moment like that where you gave someone a chance and it like killed it? I think we were doing a song that I think it was the band, the bands, you know, the band, the band, the old band, uh, mm-hmm. their their song called The Weight. And I can't remember. We don't do that anymore. I mean, I think we pulled a girl out of stage one time, off onto stage one time, and I think she did a really great job singing. Uh, one time we literally, you know, pretended like we were picking a person randomly out, but it was our friend, this guy Abe, who's an amazing musician. And uh, it's actually a song that we cover of his called Where the Skies Are Blue. That's actually his song. And uh, we cover that. But I've seen bands do that. Green Day, I think, does that every night. They pull a guitarist out of the crowd. And I think Coldplay does that every night. We haven't done that in, in a long time, though. I think we're still just trying to make sure that we're good enough for the crowd, let alone to have that X factor, X variable of bringing someone random onto the stage. Because that could be really cool or kind of a disaster, I feel like. Yeah, and I just think it's cool to hear you like put that into your words in a different industry, quote unquote, but recognizing the same thing in streaming because you're not wrong. I think a lot of these guys get hit up all the time and their whole business is creating content. And sometimes that requires a risky move of trusting someone to come on and not blow it up, right? That's that's a scary thing. Yeah. No, and I, I mean, I can't imagine for sure if you say, yeah, and then maybe five minutes into the stream, you're like, oh man, I'm playing with this guy. And then, <laughs> you know, uh, I could see that being an uncomfortable or awkward situation. So, yeah. And I think one of the things that I would say when I've watched you play and played with you, you are laser focused on getting better at the game. I think that's probably why you have an easy time playing with people and I understand the nerve side of it, but you seem to always be learning. You're asking for critique. What did I do wrong there? What's the call out? Is that part of what you love about this game is that there's always something to learn? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that for me, one of the one of the biggest things I hate when people say about PUBG is they say, it's just a game and the only thing you need to be doing is having fun. And I'm like, eh, I kind of disagree. <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> Having fun is great, but I do. I feel like I do take it serious enough that I. I think, okay, what could I have done better? What could have my you know my rotation could have been better? Why was I spraying with a four times scope when I have no business spraying with a four times scope? Things like that, where trying to understand what could I have done better? What could I have done that you know would have made more sense? And yeah, I think it's a really mentally challenging game. I mean, just the mechanics of getting used to the mouse and the key bindings and all that, that's half of the puzzle. And then the other half is kind of understanding, trying to predict players' movements. And there's just so many variables in the game. I don't know. And there's a lot of creativity in the game too. I think that's what's so cool. I think that's what's so interesting about a lot of the content that makes it out of this game is that people are doing things, you know, maybe similar to the skateboard. The person that invented the skateboard thought, okay, this is a this is a board on four wheels and it goes you know from on a lateral surface and and then people start doing kickflips and you know 1080s and backflips and I bet the inventor of the skateboard is just blown away with what people have done with that. The same way that I hope, you know, the people that created PUBG are just like people are doing now drive-bys with a car headshot from the passenger seat. People are just doing insane double backflips on motorcycles and whatever have you. People have gotten so creative with the game. I think that's a, such a cool aspect about it. 
you brought up Unreal Tournament and the gaming term that was thrown around about Unreal Tournament back in the day was emergent gameplay, mm. right? It was things like rocket jumping and using guns in a way that they weren't supposed to be used, but they ended up becoming meta and gameplay facets that are now just included in the game. So was there a scenario or a video or did you have a moment in game where something crazy happened that got you hooked into the game? I think I think I just saw a lot of moments, probably from streamers at first, that were doing things that were just crazy. I mean, one of the first videos that I saw was something probably of Shroud landing at military and just, you know, clearing the entire island. I think he leaves with 22 kills or something. And then he gets killed by a guy camping in a house, like right when he gets over the bridge. It's, it's really heartbreaking to watch that. But little things like that where you see just someone clear an entire island and and him making it look easy and then you trying to do it yourself and realizing, wow, that's insane. I, I can't remember. I do remember though, just seeing probably that there's definitely a video I know that I've seen probably a couple times now where Shroud clears military base. And I just thought, wow, that's really just a spectacular performance of skill and mental focus. And yeah, just you never, I feel like you never see the same game twice. I mean, I think the lack of repetition Sure, people complain that, oh, this is the same circle, or I died to the red zone, or I keep dying the same way. It might feel that way, but I think literally and categorically, every game is different. And I think that's what's so interesting about the game. So I think a lot of people fell in love with this game, watching Shroud, and then seeing everything that's derivative of this game because of those crazy kill games and all of that. But I feel like there's something deeper there. Like, why do you love this game? I know it's a simple question, but why? What's the why are you so connected to it? I have a little bit of a long answer, but I'm going to give it my best shot. I heard a podcast years ago. It's called Radio Lab, and they talk about games and rules of games. And it's about a 20 minute segment of one of their podcasts. And basically, they talk about when you are about four years old, three or four years old, you make up these games, and they're kind of fantastical, and they're almost psychedelic, and they're made up, and there's not really any rules, and you're just sort of playing make believe, whatever have you. Fast forward a couple years later, when you turn about six, they're talking about now the idea of rules are very much oriented into the game. You know, this game is called freeze tag. When you when you when I tag you, you're frozen. And when someone untags you, you're not frozen anymore. And this is the base and everything's about the rules. And they talk about the best games sort of have this tension between the make-believe fantasy sort of psychedelic aspect and the amount of rules. And the best games have these perfect balance. And they talk about in the 1800s, there was this chess tournament and the two best, sorry, checkers tournament. In the 1800s, there was this checkers tournament and they took the two best world champions of checkers and they played 40 games in a row. Now, what happened in this checkers tournament was all 40 games resulted in a draw, and 21 of those 40 games were literally the exact same games repeated. So checkers was sort of then, okay, wow, this game has a limit, and that's actually kind of boring. Then they talked about chess. And basically in chess, they talked about these people that categorized and notated every chess move ever made. And it was this really interesting thing. When they hold chess tournaments, there's this thing called the book. And the book is this now digitized thing where it has every chess move ever made played in a game. Obviously not everyone, because when you play a game in your living room, that's not going to be notated, but you know what I mean. And what they talk about is when the guy moves his first pawn, the computer says, okay, this has happened one and a half million times, this exact board. And they have the moves and the counter moves and the counter counter moves, they're all notated. So the first pawn goes and they say, okay, that's happened about a million and a half times. 
The next guy goes and they say, okay, now it's happened about 800,000 times. You know, skip 10 or 15 moves ahead. They say, okay, this exact board has happened 3,000 times. And then eventually they get down to this board has happened 13 times, then 11, and then two. And then eventually, if you're lucky, someone makes a move on the chessboard that has never happened before in the history of the game. And they call that moment the novelty. And I think the novelty in PUBG is something akin to watching Choco Taco shooting his car randomly and killing somebody that was knocked four or 500 meters. I don't know if you saw that clip. It was the bug, right? Where he was just testing it and then he did an unscoped shot. For me, that's the novelty of the game. It was the thing that never has happened before in the history of the game. And I think that's why I love the game. I mean, I think that the blue circle sort of represents the six-year-old in us, the rules, the strict rules that guide us as adults. And everything that happens in that blue circle is the creativity and the passion and just the fun. And the tension between those two, I think, is what makes the game so cool. And it's creative, and I just think it makes the game great. So that's my answer. Do you have a microphone that you can drop? (laughs) (laughs) I can... uh, No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) That is... uh... A very profound way of looking at this game, but I think you may have just put words on something that maybe it hasn't been applied to PUBG yet. But for me personally, and I know I'm supposed to be asking you questions, but in my mind, it was always this idea of barriers and choke points. I grew up playing Counter Strike. Mm. And Counter-Strike was all about fixed maps, fixed positions, and there were these choke points. And it basically became who knew the choke points better and who could take the choke points and manipulate things around the choke points, but the choke points were always the same. It's kind of like the checkers, you know? And it's kind of like checkers. The checkers phenomenon, which is not a phenomenon, unfortunately. And I think there's something so dull and boring about the idea that any game has a, you know, a, a limit and people often complain about PUBG as being RNG. And my thought is, well, if it wasn't RNG, you might run into the same problem that you're describing now, where you land that same house and you get that M4 with the extended mag and you know the comp every time in the same exact way. And the blue, you know what the blue is going to do and you know where the red zones are going to be. I don't think that would make PUBG better. I think that I would literally not play the game anymore if it was like that, because it would feel finite and it would feel boring and dull, I think. Yeah, we actually had that discussion on the show a few months back before some of the sweeping loot changes were made where it was kind of like, well, yeah, I think the times that I die without guns and stuff, I don't like that and I want more ammunition, I want a better gun, etc. But there's that balance of every now and then I want to go up against a guy with an M4 with a shotgun and win because that's the novelty to your point. It's a delicate balance and, you know, as much crap as PUBG has taken since this game launched and then even some recently, there is a very real balance that's hard to achieve because of the RNG in this game, because of something as simple as a moving zone that changes the choke points every couple of minutes that creates novelty that I think it's hard. It's hard, but it's why we all love the game. In the wake of you know what happened with Game of Thrones, and it seemed like just generally the public, especially on the internet, it seemed to be unanimous with awesome show, but you know what happened at the last season? What happened? Blah blah blah. And I think I was personally bummed with the last few episodes of Game of Thrones, sure. But I think in thinking about that, I was only disappointed because I was given such spectacular stuff 
for year after year after year. So I think to that point, I think the only reason people are bummed or when they complain or have grievances about the game, I think it's only ironically because they love the game so much. Because when the game is good, you know, when the game is working great and when you're getting a chicken dinner, even if you're getting just one a week, whatever, whatever your, you know, statistics are, you realize how fun and amazing the game can be. So I think anybody that's complaining about the game or feeling like they have grievances, it's only because they see the light. They know the game is amazing, and I think they just want it to be a little bit better. But it only stems from their love. I mean, I think if they truly hated the game or were truly fed up, you know, they would jump over to Apex or, or whatever games are being played right now. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you. It's I've put a lot of hours into this game, and you know, whatever the game was when I bought it, thirty dollars. I think my uh, eight hundred <laughs> plus hours have been well spent for that amount. So, yeah, absolutely. That explanation, you're killing me with that. That was awesome. <laughs> good, <laughs> that was man. So good. That's what I feel about the game. I mean, honestly, I've never played a game like it. I mean, I'm trying to think of other games that other games have always been fun. I mean, ever since, you know, I don't know, just there's lots of games out there that are really fun. And this one just, it just strikes a nerve. And, and when you watch the highlights from different streamers, you know, I just saw recently this guy, um, I think his name is Grizz. You know, he had this yep. headshot doing a drive-by out of a car. And I even saw today, Hambino just did one driving. I think he's in a dossier and headshot somebody in the passenger seat drive-by. Um, you just start to see these really creative things or you know, somebody shoots out the bottom of a door and throws a frag in there instead of opening the door, simple things like that, that you go, wow, there's, there's creativity being implemented within the game, even though at times it feels monotonous and repetitive. If it does, it, it's not. And I think, yeah, there's just something about this game that is just really, I don't know, there's, some, there's just something about it. It's kind of hard to put your finger on it, right? It's kind of like you trying to describe your genre of music to somebody. There's a point where you can't really describe PUBG to somebody. You just kind of have to say, drop in and we're going to paradise. Let's do this. <laughs> I'm not going to paradise. That place is... <laughs> I hate paradise. I'll go on record that I've been forced to go to paradise by, by many friends and acquaintances. And I, I really truly hate going to paradise, but... <laughs> that's that's neither here nor there but well the funny part is i think the first time i went into your stream or maybe the second time after we had met i uh gave you a 10 kill challenge in or a 10 drop challenge drop paradise 10 times in a row on sandhawk and i, I kind of thought our friendship was going to be killed after you finished that <laughs> that was pure pain i remember that well I remember I was streaming and I, I did 10 drops in a row at Paradise. I remember at one point I was cranking Rage Against the Machine and, and for one of the rounds, I didn't even pause it. I just was hot dropping Paradise with Rage Against the Machine. I think the song was Sleep Down the Fire. Mm -hmm. That was really fun, actually. I, I should, I'm considering trying to play more games with just music cranked and <laughs> seeing what happens. Yeah, that was pure pain. I really did not enjoy myself doing that. I can honestly say that. And that was very difficult. <laughs> but I do like a challenge. So it was, it was fun to see. But I think also it's tough because I've only been playing on a laptop, typically with hotel Wi-Fi. Even at my house in Denver, I didn't have Ethernet hooked up. So when I do go home, I'm going to have that all set up. I had that installed while being away on tour. You got fiber, right? I got fiber and I'm going to get a desktop very soon. So I've only been playing this game. There's actually a photo. If you go to my Twitch, I think it's just twitch.tv slash Jeremiah Freights. And I think the photo that is like my profile picture gives you a, a really good sense of what I'm working with and how janky it is. I was at a, the photo is, I took that with my iPhone. I was at a hotel in Florida. We were there for about a week. And I remember me and Swag, 
I think it was actually the first time we played together, which was really made the experience even crazier because the Wi-Fi was so bad in my room that I couldn't play. So I went down to the hotel lobby and I set up the whole station there, my laptop. And this was before I had the cooling pad. So after about two hours or so, (laughs) my laptop was like super hot. You know, the fans were trying to do it, but it wasn't working. And Swag said, try elevating your laptop. So I took all the computer paper that was next to me because I was in the lobby and I propped up I folded the two pieces of paper, all the paper, so that my laptop was kind of propped up. And I, I, you know, I use a mouse with a wire. I don't know if that's a faux pas in the gaming community, but I like the wire. I'm actually the same way, man. I've never switched off the wire. So I'm not alone, but I mean, this was just janky though, man. This was, you know, hotel Wi-Fi in the lobby. You know, I got my headset on, I'm playing. It's, it just was very janky to say the least. So how excited are you to upgrade and play on a pc since again you're you're traveling all the time you're playing in different scenarios you know when you go into music you put a uniform on you're playing a show you get ready but it's similar but how how excited are you to get a setup and upgrade and i'm sure you hear about it all the time that it's meant to be played on 144 hertz a nice monitor a nice rig like is that exciting are you looking forward to that Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm looking forward to it very much. I think that I'm kind of proud in a way that I've started on, I guess you could say, humble beginnings when it comes to it from a technological standpoint. I think that me cutting my teeth on hotel Wi-Fi in a laptop, I mean, even the desk sometimes. played with Hambino. The first time I ever played with Hambino, I think we'd gotten three chicken dinners in a row. And it was just so exhilarating. But the desk I was playing on was a circular desk. And if you can imagine trying to play the game on a circular desk, <laughs> there's no edge. There's literally no edge because it's a circle. So trying to get that sweet spot. And again, it was hotel Wi-Fi. And you know, there's always it's different heights every time you play because the chair, the desk, if there even is a desk. Right. I was at a hotel in Brooklyn, no desk, literally no desk. That was just so Brooklyn to me. I thought, wow, this is even the hotels are, you know, hipster or something. It was like, I had to ask the front desk to bring me up a foldable, you know, desk. And I played like that. I think going to a desktop, I think I will have earned it. And when I get to that desktop, that will be that much more appreciated because I think in a weird parallel or a similar parallel with music, I always resented those kids that grew up and they just got really sick guitars bought for them or really expensive drum sets when they didn't know how to play. I feel like if you learn something, you should learn on something kind of lousy and crappy. And then if you like it and it seems like you're willing to put in time and energy, then reinvest into that. But I think nobody should ever start on the best. You know what I mean? And if you get mm. really good, if you if you get really into it, if you buy, you know, a set of golf clubs for twenty dollars off Craigslist or something and you get really into it, maybe after a year, five years, whatever, reinvest or, you know, if you're a kid, maybe your parents can see that and say, you know what, I think this guy's ready for some nice clubs. But I don't believe anybody should start on really high-level stuff. So I think I've started on really janky circumstances. And everyone I've talked to, every player, every streamer, everyone I've met is saying, you're going to love it. When you go to a desktop and then when you're playing an Ethernet, I think it's going to be tough because I think I'm going to become so spoiled. And then going back on tour, obviously, I'm going to have to stay in this laptop 
Right. That's what that was going to be my concern was you're going to love it. And then you're going to go traveling again and play on your laptop and you're just going to just want to be home that much more. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to make it seem like, okay, I'm out here and, you know, woe is me or anything like that. But I think if people, you know, saw my setup and had to play in my setup, I think they might be like, okay, you know, he's making the most out of this because this is there's a lot of, there's so many variables every time I play. I mean, even that, even that ritual I explained at the beginning of this, you know, podcast of, calling the Wi-Fi and sometimes they say, we don't have anybody and that's the only Wi-Fi you get or, you know, your Wi-Fi has been capped at two megabytes download speed. That's all we're going to give you or, you know, this or that. Um, or I even had an issue one time where I was at a hotel and I was able to play PUBG, but I wasn't able to do Discord. It was a port forwarding issue. Okay. Yep. And I had to Google that. I was that there for and, that. I remember yeah, that. Remember that? And I remember Googling how to manually open up certain ports and you went to this, I think it was like the TCP and the ICP or something like that. And you, you manually opened up the PUBG ports, which was like 1500 to 1800 and, you know, a comma and 3300 to 39, whatever it was, it was super specific. You know, it, it kind of worked as a solution, but then it still, um, still didn't work. So yeah, I've put up with some, some weird scenarios trying to play this damn game. <laughs> <laughs> the things we do for love of PUBG. That's right. Well, I want to circle back around to music just for a second because you said something about 20 minutes ago that I remember when I saw it and asked you to do those 10 paradise drops, but you turned on Rage Against the Machine. That may have surprised some people to hear the, you know, self-described folk rock pop or whatever you are. Sure. <laughs> that may have surprised some people uh, that that's music that that you would listen to, but I'm always curious about people's inspiration for their passion. So Rage Against the Machine, again, that's some that's a band I grew up with, but what other bands did you listen to growing up? What kind of music were you listening to that inspired you to create? So when I was little, I remember my mom took me and my older brother to a department store in New Jersey, and I believe she bought my brother a Mozart probably cassette or CD, and I got a Beethoven cassette, and it was all sonatas, meaning just piano, piano iterations of the classical music. And um, I remember just, we would argue, me and my brother, who was better, Beethoven or Mozart, and I thought Beethoven was better, and I grew up just loving Beethoven, particularly these sonatas that was uh, just on the piano, and I'd listen to it every night going to sleep, and I probably listened to that for years, like the tape, you know, started to almost disintegrate after a long time, and sort of got into that early on, and then would listen to what my brother was listening to, which at the time was everything from ACDC to, you know, he was really great at the guitar learning Welcome to the Jungle and by Guns N' Roses, or Pink Floyd or whatever. And, you know, so then I was into sort of Pink Floyd and ACDC and Guns N' Roses. And then when I was in sixth grade, I remember my mom buying me the clean edited version of Puff Daddy's, I think it was No Way Out. Does that sound right? <laughs> I think that was right. I just, I'm just surprised at, at your I think it was background. Yeah, I, th I think it was Puff Daddy, No Way Out and a, a Mace album, both clean edited versions. And then, yeah, just kind of jumping around all over the place. I got... I just love music, man. I think that that's probably partially why I kind of cringe at the, the genre thing, this idea that I get the mechanic of the, the genre. You know, it's for conversational and for people to understand, at least give them a better idea quicker of what people are talking about. Sure. Yeah. And then, I mean, even I got into this band called Aphex Twin and Square Pusher, which is really out there, instrumental, um, kind of breakbeat, just really out there, crazy stuff. I really loved uh, Tool growing up, that rock band Tool. 
Yeah, they got a new album coming out, right? Really? Yeah, I think so. That's awesome if they do. I hope so. I got really into Metallica in eighth grade and uh, eventually really got into Rage Against the Machine. And I can honestly say seeing Rage Against the Machine was the single number one concert experience in my entire life. I saw them at Randall's Island in New York. I remember being terribly ill. I had a terrible cold or the flu or something. I don't remember. Just really out of it, really sick and saved up all my energy all day. And then eventually Rage Against the Machine took the stage and just was right up against the barrier, just watching them front row. And it was just a mind-blowing experience of how good they were. I think for me, obviously coming from the Lumineers, people probably wouldn't expect that. But I think that's kind of interesting in a way too. I think you know being inspired by something doesn't really have a correlation with the output. I think this idea that if you're inspired by Rage Against the Machine, then that means you have to write rap rock music that's political. You know, this idea that you can be inspired by something just to get off the couch to make any sort of music, whether it's classical or, or folk or, you know, whatever it might be. And I think that's why our writing process is so great because me and the singer come from such different backgrounds. And I think when we get together, it's truly a collaborative experience. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, the last question I have in the music line is actually on behalf of my wife, and she'd kill me if I didn't ask you this question. All right, shoot. She wants to know, what does somebody have to do to you guys to get a song named after them? Because there <laughs> seems to be quite a few ladies that have songs named after them on your albums. <laughs> that is a good question. That is a question we get asked a lot. Not in that quite wording of it, but there are a lot of female names of song titles in our band. And I think a lot of them... They just sound really great musically, you know, that idea of Ophelia, oh, Ophelia, it might not work the same way if you used a different name. And I think I think beyond the musicality of it, I think also instead of just using he, she, you, they, you know, giving them a specific name makes that character, whether fictional or real, makes them feel even more real. You know, when you read a Harry Potter book and the author comes up with these great names that are perfectly for that person, whether it's a villain like Snape or whether it's you know Hermione or whatever it is, it makes that person so much more three-dimensional. And I think lyrically, when Wes does that and gives an actual name, it's, it's very musical, but it also kind of brings that character to life. So I think it's a great aspect of it. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot now because you brought up character names and oftentimes people have really cool gamer tags or stories behind them, but you just use your name. <laughs> so, I want to know what your gamer tag was before you used your name. All right. So, my gamer tag was, what was it? It was Saintly Kitten 1, I think. And that was because Xbox, when I set it up and I guess got on Xbox Live, that was the default name. And I just thought, that's perfect. Saintly Kitten 1, that is just so random. And I don't know who has that job at Xbox. It's like the people that have those, you know, they come up with the Wi-Fi passwords <laughs> that are just the, the stock default Wi-Fi passwords. You can't get away from the Wi-Fi, man. And you're just like, no, but you like, you know, I don't know, at your house, I don't want to say what my Wi-Fi password is, but it's two words. It's two random words and then a random set of numbers. And I'm just like, I want that job to come up with random Xbox default names because I think that's such a random job that people have. I'm sure it's computer generated, but yeah, so Saintly Kitten 1 was the name before uh, Jeremiah Freights. And I think Jeremiah Freights is kind of boring, but I also thought it's just easier also. So Awesome, man. Well, once again, man, I'm, I'm super glad to have you here. And we're going to go into the last section that we call 
automatic fire questions. So we try to do this with every guest we have on the show if we have time. And basically, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And the goal is that you respond with the first thing that comes to mind as quickly as you can. We've had guests switch their guns to single fire. So if you need to take a little time, that's fine. But the goal is to go pretty darn quick. So are you ready, sir? I think so. Yes. All right. Favorite map in PUBG? Sandhawk. Guilty pleasure music to listen to. Guilty pleasure music to listen to. Man, that's such a hard question for musicians because, yeah, I don't know. Guilty pleasure game to play. I only play PUBG, so I never feel guilty playing it. Was there a game growing up that no one knows you played that maybe they'd laugh at you about? There was a game called Bubble Bobble for NES, but that game was sick. I don't think anybody wow, would laugh at me that. Wow, that game is sick. That's No one's going to laugh about that. I love that game. <laughs> Bubble, Bubble Bobble. That game was sick, yeah. So good. Favorite primary and secondary weapon combo in PUBG? Fully kitted M4 and then fully kitted M24, probably. Nice. If you had only one gun to use for the rest of your time playing PUBG, what would it be? Probably M4. Who's the best player you've ever squatted up with or duoed with? Best squad ever, probably with Hambino and Swagger. Who would you love to play a duos match with? Who would I love to play a duos match with? Choco Taco. Dream squad. You plus three other people. Who's in the squad? All right. Let's go with Hambino, Swagger, and my man G-Tuck. Dang. Love it. Number one thing you want added to PUBG? Better sounds. Number one thing that you would like to see fixed in PUBG? Red zones. Coolest person you've ever met in real life? Oh, wow. President Barack Obama. Person that you'd love to meet if given the chance. Woody Harrelson. Everybody says I look like him, so Woody Harrelson. And the final question, what is your favorite location to drop any map is in play? Pinan, Sandhawk. Nice. Are you taking suggestions for the fourth album, for the title? Definitely not. Dang it. Well, I'm going to give you mine anyway, because <laughs> right, I think do. it should be titled The Novelty. Ooh. That's good. <laughs> well, we're gonna, I'll put that in the maybe section. I like it. That's a great move going from definitely not to the maybe section. I'm going to take that as a win. <laughs> yeah. Chicken dinner for that. That's a two kill chicken dinner right there. Small win, small victory. Well, sir, you've survived automatic fire questions. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. And I just got to say, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. The, uh, the final thing we do is we normally give you the stage just to promote whatever you've got going on, let people know how to find you, let people know how to contact you. And in your case, if you've got stuff coming up for the band, we'd sure love to hear about it. All right, great. Well, if I'm going to be doing the self-promotion thing again, this is Jeremiah Freights, member of the Lumineers. And I do like to stream PUBG. I believe my Twitch is twitch.tv backslash Jeremiah Freights. And I do try to stream as often as I can, usually on tour with a laptop and hotel Wi-Fi. So, And uh, yeah, I'm going to be on tour for pretty much the next two years. We have a massive tour coming up in Europe in November 2019. And then we're going to be on tour pretty much over the entire world next year in 2020 and 2021. So keep an eye out for Lumineers tour dates. And we have a new album coming out also September 13th which is our third album called Three. And I think it's our best album ever. So please listen to it. Thank you. Awesome, man. Well, thanks again. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. 
And as always, guys, my name is Mike, a.k.a. MTB Trigger. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Make sure to let Jeremiah know if you're going to go check him out and let him know Winner Winner sent you. If you're looking for me, the best place to find me is on Twitch or Twitter, MTB Trigger on all the platforms. But for this episode, Winner Winner, out. <laughs>